Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. Did you get that last blast of winter out here in the American West? Maybe the last blast, you never know. The heaviest I've ever seen it snow, in the Mojave anyway, was in the merry month of May, a dozen odd years ago. Snowed in. Well, whatever little bit of weather we get out here this time of year, it is to be appreciated. It's a beautiful thing when misty clouds are blowing around our east side mountaintops. Like you're in the coast range, the coastal range, all of a sudden. Minus the fog, I suppose. And the humidity that goes with it. But sometimes the wind blasting the house sounds like the waves crashing at Big Sur. Like you're at sea. A sea of sand. And then in the morning, you spend an hour or two picking up all the exotic and common bits of garbage that have caught on your fence. If you have a little bit of fence... It's nice when you pick up some old styrofoam soft drink cup and it comes apart in your fingers and blows into the ragweed that you're going to pull any day now. Speaking of the sea and the wind, some years ago I spent some time alone in a narrow little cabin built high up on the rocks over Muir Beach. And this little cabin was built by a sailor. A sailor and adventurer and prolific author by the name of Charles Borden. And if you remember your old milk bottles, yeah, he was related to the Borden dairy family. And he got a little income from this good luck. Which somewhat offset his bad luck, as he did not have tremendous success as an author. But that's all right. Most people who write books 
most people who create anything. They do so because they don't have a choice in the matter. They are compelled. Well, Charles and Rosalie Borden lived in this narrow little house atop Spindrift Point, as it's called. He designed a cabin like one of the seagoing sailboats he kept and loved. A kitchen of galley size. Marine plywood interiors and... Narrow side decks as well with rope railings. Little bookshelves with twine lines to keep the books from spilling in heavy weather. But instead of a sailboat's portholes, the long south-facing wall was all glass. And when you settled into the narrow bed alongside the great expanse of glass, you could see the sparkling lights of the container ships slowly entering the jet-black golden gate. In the daytime, you look down upon the backs of the seabirds, a dizzying view that ended in crashing waves and swirling little spindrift pools between the rocks. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but it was at that little cabin that I found the story of Dr. Edmund Yeager. He's a pioneering desert biologist who was the first such scientist to verify the existence of a hibernating bird. The common poor will. Charles Borden was a conservationist, a man of the land and of the sea, and his little bookshelves were loaded with journals and monographs that dealt with his many interests. The story of Dr. Yeager and his hibernating bird would become the first story in the first issue of Desert Oracle. Some of you sent me an article from the San Francisco paper last week. A newspaper feature about one of the great old California legends spanning many centuries and many changes in management, as uh, corporate historians like to say. It told the story of the Dark Watchers. The Dark Watchers, the spirit sentinels who've long been seen looking down from the ridgelines of the Santa Lucia Mountains. The oldest stories were passed down by the Esalon, the coastal tribe living in a spirit-filled natural paradise of plenty before the disastrous arrival of the Spaniards. But the watchers remained in these steep, misty mountains, rising above Big Sur and Monterey, 
The Spanish, arriving 300 years ago, acknowledged the eerie apparitions with the name Los Vigilantes Oscuros. The Dark Watchers. Robinson Jeffers wrote about them, as did John Steinbeck. And this is a good newspaper feature, even if it leaves out the name of the, quote, local Indian tribe, end quote, which passed down these memories of the Dark Watchers. The Esselon nearly obliterated their name borrowed for a New Age Institute in Big Sur, where Hunter Thompson used to be the security guard. Imagine that. The reality of the Dark Watchers is maintained throughout the article. Yes, they are shadowy. Always at a distance. Real, but not exactly there. Like those angels in the movie Wings of Desire. But maybe of easier temperament. Perhaps they are manifestations of memory gathered together for a little while in something like corporeal form. Interested in the affairs of humanity but removed from it. And this beautiful mystery with its mystical quotations from Jeffers and Steinbeck, then slams clumsily into a roadblock of garbage. The rational explanation. In newsrooms of decades past, some local expert at the back of some burnt-out editor's mid-century Rolodex... would be dredged up once again from obscurity to cough up some hairball scientific explanation for the mysterious, the transcendent, the unknown. In our present day, the editor rarely needs to suggest the other side of the story. The reporter is supposed to provide her own dose of disenchantment, the equivalent of soaking down the lovely little campfire you just managed to build from bits of splintered wood and fire and the quiet atmosphere of misty mountains in the deep darkness of night. The dark watchers of the Santa Lucia Mountains. Having spanned the centuries from the Esalon to the Spanish, to the gold rush to whatever strange goings-on conjured up by the likes of 
John Lilly at the Esalon Institute are now casually, stupidly thrown to the dogs of disenchantment. There's nothing to it. Nothing to this fantastic mystery. This beautiful folklore that has survived the centuries because it was real. The shoddy evidence offered up to refute this beautiful truth is generally a stray line of text found on a Wikipedia page on Deadline. Perhaps about some completely unrelated mystery on the other side of the planet. In this case, in the mountains of Europe. Something in this case called the Brock Inspector. I quote with regret. In reality, the Brock Inspector is the result of a funny quirk of science. It happens when shadows like those of a hiker are cast on particularly misty mountain peaks. If the sun is behind the observer, the mist plays with the shadow, making it look huge and menacing. The shadow can even dart away as the mist suddenly shifts or breaks apart in the breeze. In reality... What has changed in the telling of history in our time? 
What has most changed in the telling of history in the years since the Industrial Revolution? We have, out of embarrassment, stripped the supernatural from our lives. Removed the miracles, redacted the guardian angels, the singing mermaids, the hounds of the Baskervilles. The wailing banshee. The premonitions and visitations. The historical, scientific, and literary works of the 20th century are marked by a stubborn need to explain away the part of life that was most fulfilling for most of us. In centuries past, the wonder, the delight, the awe, the fear of a mostly invisible world alongside our reliably physical reality. In the first decades of the 21st century, have not done any better. In our anti-culture's ceaseless struggle to tamp out the remnants of a million years of humanity, or six million years, or 250,000 years, Or whatever the computer tells you is today's accepted length of existence of our various peoples. We must be told night and day that the gods never existed. That spirits are fictions. That our lifelong accumulations of ESP between family and friends... Gut checks, clairvoyance, foreboding, bad mojo, psychic vampirism, and everyday magic does not and never did exist. The people of a few centuries ago were somehow more adept at every aspect of daily life. Generally in tune with the natural world as that was where they lived. But they were completely deranged regarding the soul, the dim kingdom, luck, fate, ritual. The pyramids stand around the world, but we furiously deny the spiritual reasons they were built at such great cost of resources, time, and human life. One of our kind listeners who sent us this article said something to the effect of, I hope this doesn't come from an area with too much rainfall for your taste, something like that. First of all, Dear St. Minerva, Do not let me be shackled to a particular place or subject for the rest of my days.
Please don't let me be shackled. Please do not bury me in that particular box. Especially a box of sand. Anyway, there's always a desert angle. You see, the ancient human settlement that became the Esalon Institute on the site of the old Slates Hot Springs was in many ways the metaphysical child of a certain English author who spent his last decades living in the western Mojave Desert near the remains of the old Llano del Rio commune. Aldous Huxley. Author of Brave New World. A little too accurate for comfort in our present decade. And such countercultural, psychedelicized nonfiction classics as The Doors of Perception. Huxley, speaking at Stanford in 1960, completely upturned the psyche of young Richard Price. Better known as Dick Price, the co-founder of Esalon at the old hot springs of Big Sur. Dick Price, only recently released from a mental institution where he was committed by his own wealthy parents because he was a little bit different than every other crew-cut moron in 1950s straight America, was deeply influenced by a lecture that he heard Aldous Huxley give in 1960 at Stanford. It was called Human Potentialities. And once Esalon was up and running, offering its intoxicating mix of dramatic natural environments, strange new and old philosophies, casual nudity, good wine and heavy drugs, all the greats of the counterculture arrived to teach and to learn. And Huxley was among them. Huxley wrote a number of now-classic works from his 40 acres in the West Mojave, including a book of wonderful essays called The Desert, although the essay called The Desert is just one of them, and a curious children's book called The Crows of Pear Blossom. A wonderful little fairy tale. Yes, we know the crows were really ravens, but that's all right. Huxley had terrible problems with his vision during much of his adult life. Not his inner vision, though. It is a tragedy how the human body tends to start breaking down as soon as the attached human brain begins to make a little bit of sense of some things, occasionally. But that is, we suppose, the price of wisdom. 
The price of admission, anyway. No wisdom guaranteed. There's a little desert valley where I've walked many hundreds of miles over the years, probably thousands by now, and unlikely as it seems, so close to the endless hustle and bustle of Joshua Tree with its millions of tourists and all-day traffic jams, the multi-million dollar architectural mansions built over the humble ruins of jackrabbit homestead cabins. Here in this desert valley of boulders and a few surviving junipers high up in the rocks, on lucky lonely evenings just after sundown or sometimes even beneath the white winter sun, I have seen something. I have had something catch my eye up there on the ridgelines. Sure, most of the time it's a bighorn or a coyote. Moving swiftly and with stealth as they do. A few times over the decades, I've watched a coyote or sometimes a big red-tailed hawk sitting on one of those boulder tops. Their steely gaze on me, making sure I move along, clear the area. But other times, really just a handful of moments, I recall, there has been something like a shrouded figure that fades as soon as I try to focus upon it. A trick of the light and shadow, well, that's likely. Then again, magic is all about trickery, arranging the dust motes and the shadows in a particular way, which is the way the spirit beings manifest into a temporary shape something like what we are. From Amboy to Zizix and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from Joshua Tree, Friday nights at 10 p.m. And at various times on our makeshift network of participating community radio stations from coast to coast, to which we would like to welcome KZMU, 90.1 and 106.7 FM, in and around Moab, Utah, Saturday nights, so I hear... Wherever you are, we are on the podcast player. Look for Desert Oracle Radio, Soundscapes Tonight by Joshua Tree's own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Support for this program comes from listeners like you. That's right. Thanks to our friends who contribute to the cause on Patreon. Find out more at DesertOracle.com and good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>